Jacob Banks. Oh my gosh. Is this happening? I know. Music 101. Can it be real? The world is healing, Mindy. Right? I know. Finally, we get to see each other. I think this is amazing. I think this is amazing. And people should know about our very safe, socially distant setup here, right? I mean, I don't know if you've described this to your listeners before, but it might sound like we're, you know, you know, shoot and spit across the room like we used to, but we're actually in adjacent studios, which is, which feels great to me. I, I mean, I, you know, I sort of feel like I should be sending a deposit slip to you. <laughs> Through through a tube of some kind. Yeah, waiting for the but little tube. But aside from yeah. that, I mean, it's great. And I also have a mixer in front of me, which has never been the case. So I don't know if I can turn you up or down, but I am so so excited to be back doing music 101. It was it has been just way too long. Way too long. Yeah, and I think you know it's exciting for me as well because I I love sort of seeing how even in the event of something as life-changing and societally upheaving as the pandemic has been for all of us, there's ways to come back from this. Yes. And, you know, this is just one of those examples. There's right. ways to adapt right. and do these things safely and meaningfully right. and get that sense of normalcy kind of back, which we're right. all longing for. Right, right, right. So, right. yeah, and Music 101. Yeah, besides our little emails that we would dash off over like, the last... What year is it? <laughs> When did we, when did we, what did we, I don't know, Beethoven was 250 then, what's he now? <laughs> right. Well, you know, that's, that's the other thing. I think 2020 is going to kind of become the, 2020 the lost a black year. Hole. Yeah. I was talking about this with our department um, uh, administrative assistants the other day. What, I mean, I, I find myself just like, I, I, the year 2020 just doesn't exist to me. I don't know. It's like, you could think about the things that happened. Obviously there were, you know, lots happened, but it's just lost. It's a black hole and, uh, and that's okay. You know, we're, yep. We just, we just pick right up pick and right up. dust ourselves and, you know, off I, and Anyone who runs anything has my respect in a way they mm. may not have before. Didn't we find out how important some things were? Right. Jobs. And right. <laughs> and well, and just administering things it's and the kind of decisions people have to make and, and difficult decisions. Um, and so I have, I have renewed respect for administrators of all kinds, you know, the, the, <laughs> never thought I'd say that Qu- quote me, right. You know, pre pandemic, uh, in November of 2021, you will, uh, profess your love for administrators. And it's true. I mean, it amazes me. I just, I step back and think this really took, it just took a lot of wisdom and a lot of planning when so many things were uncertain. So, yeah. but here we are. But here we are. We're back in the studio. <sighs> and uh, so there's, good. A, there's a, we, no, there's already been a Quad City Symphony concert, too, mm-hmm. which I had the pleasure of attending. Usually, as you know, we tie these uh, Music 101 to some live music that's going on, live classical music in the Quad Cities. Quite often, the Quad City Symphony concerts, we did miss the first concert. Which is unfortunate because it would have been really fun to talk about Barber's Piano Concerto. Oh, right. So if anybody yeah. had the chance to see Garrick Olson <laughs> totally take us all to school on that one, right? it was an unbelievable night. And it was my first time being back at a concert um, it, at all since the pandemic. I mean, I, I didn't even I didn't even go to sort of like the partial concerts that were kind of offered at various various times last year. And frankly, personally, I, I had difficulty watching online concerts. I, I understand for some people that was great. Certainly got a lot of people 
going through. But for me, I just couldn't bring myself. I was too sad. So to be back at the QCSO last month and hear, you know, just truly one of the great pianists living today um, play the Barber Concerto, which is such a complicated and uh, intricate. intricate piece yes. and just so hard. I mean, it's just... <laughs> How how it how it how he played it it just it blows my mind. Well, so, he made it sound so easy, right? When you and I were both going, this right. is not an easy piece, right? Like, well, and then he turns to the audience, you know, and takes his mask off afterwards, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, hello." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yes, no, we are here. We saw it. we're here. We 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 get the afterwards, and then he you know plays plays the encores. And I was talking with some members of the orchestra, and it's like it's you know last time he was here, he played Brahms two, which may be my all time favorite piano concerto. Um, but it's you know you go to hear the concerto but you stay for these encores I mean he, mm. he has a way of it's there's a musical technique that sometimes people aren't aware of if you haven't played the piano before in particular because the piano is where this really this very special musical t- technique comes out it's called voicing and sometimes people think, how do you voice on the piano? Does that mean you're singing? Well, you know, is he sort of emoting with his voice? That's not what that means. What voicing is, is that almost all the time, most piano music has layers that are being performed. You have some layers that are on top, you have some inner inner things, and you have like layers on the bottom. And they're, they have different rhythm. They're usually playing the same harmony, but some have melodies, some have accompanimental figures. And it... In, in an orchestra, so we call those things voices. And we call about, talk about the voices in the orchestra too, and we're not talking about Beethoven 9. We're talking about the fact that the horn has a melody here, and then the upper woodwinds play this chord that way, and then the low strings. So we're talking about these different layers. It's like, you know, seven-layer dip. You know, it's almost dinner time, so who's hungry? I think it was a, we got out ground beef for dinner last night, and there was a huge dispute about whether we would have taco salad or... Um, or uh, pumpkin chili. I think pumpkin chili won, but Ooh. nevertheless, the seven-layer dip analogy works. That the music is is composed of layers, and the piano is uniquely able to to keep multiple layers going. The organ can kind of do this uh, in, in its own way, but but it doesn't rely so nearly as much on the organist in those cases as it does on the pianist. The ability to make multiple layers come out in just the right way is called good voicing. And I have never heard a pianist live that voiced like, Garrick Olson did. It was just like, it was like, it, it, and I, I liken it, it's the similar to orchestration. I'm always saying it's like orchestration, and orchestration is like theater lighting, where it's one of those things that, you know, especially people who don't have a background in theater, they don't, they don't think about the lighting so much. I mean, the lights come up, they go down, you know, they get kind of spooky and blue at certain times. But really, an expert uh, theatrical lighting designer is able to direct your attention, uh, to draw your eyes to particular parts of the stage and actually like infuse what the actors are doing with a very special kind of emotion. That's what a good orchestrator does, and that is what a good pianist does when voicing properly. So that that is just I just sat there kind of in awe. And of course, <clears throat> it's funny. You know, the the New World Symphony was also on that concert. Mm-hmm. The Dvorak's New World Symphony, as we all know, it was written up in <laughs> Iowa, so that must make it good. Um, really, we talk about war horses, right? You know, the those pieces that are played all the time everywhere, and, you know, some people roll their eyes because, you know, yet another war horse. 
and <clears throat> I can't say I rolled my eyes, but I wasn't really expecting to be as moved as I was by the New World Symphony. It is really just one of the finest pieces of classical music ever written. I can say that quite, quite feel very strongly about that. And just Dvorak was a master, an absolute master. And so um, it's much deserved popularity. So anyway, all the cynicism melting away as I'm sitting there <laughs> listening to really great music. And there's another concert coming up this weekend. This weekend. And, so. you know, that is the power of live music you're yes. just talking about and why we all missed it so much. Absolutely. There's just that experience that people have. Obviously, you experience it on a very personal level as you're hearing this music, but you're experiencing it with others too mm -hmm. and even in a socially distanced and everybody masked right. it doesn't seem to matter mm -mm. because you're able to transcend what's going on in the moment just by the beauty of the music that's being performed absolutely and yes they are doing another concert this week i just wanted to ask quickly though jacob what i'm sure you spent the last year and a half in very meaningful ways, meaning <laughs> obviously, you know, raising your kids. Yes, I have um, a couple. You know. And uh, I, I'm guessing you wrote some music. In yes. fact, I know you did. That's kind of a leading question. Uh -huh. <laughs> we didn't talk about we this did. before. <laughs> it just flows naturally on Music 101. You know, there's just those times. <laughs> I'm inspired right now. <laughs> But, you know, uh, we're all looking forward to Carquinos since that got pushed yes. back not once but twice, again, because of the pandemic. Right. So that was so. that's my opera commissioned by the Quad City Symphony uh, with in collaboration with Living Proof Exhibit, uh, which is um, <clears throat> an amazing organization dedicated to uh, connecting peoples whose lives have been impacted by cancer with the arts. Um, so it's my cancer opera. And I, I very much remember sitting in my, well, this is, so this is a pandemic. This is the, this is how the pandemic unfolded. <laughs> so we, we went into lockdown. I mean, it, the, the, in Illinois, it's the stay at home order, governor stay at home order, uh, which was before Augie um, went online for the term. And I went back and I was just barely finishing up. So this is, would have been in March of 2020, just barely finishing up the parts. So if, you, if people don't know what the parts are, basically when you compose a piece for orchestra, you have to tell everybody what to do. <laughs> but you tell them all what to do on the score, which is like sort of the, the bird's eye view that has everyone's part on it. But the horn player doesn't sit there and look at the score. The, you know, doesn't, ha doesn't have to see the clarinet's part the whole time, doesn't have to see the vocal part. The, the horn player needs to see the horn part. So making parts is a big deal, especially in a 90-minute opera. I mean, there's lots of pages to this. So I was just finishing up making the parts when, I, when, 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 we f when it was decided that... Um, Carquinos would be postponed. And I remember being very surprised at that because I was thinking, and I think Brian Baxter at the symphony, you know, he might remember this conversation better than I did. But when the stay-at-home order went down, we were thinking, okay, this is March, mid-March, and the performance is in May. That'll be about the time we're going to be ready to start having performances again. 
May of 2020. <laughs> I mean, we were, I couldn't, I, that's why I say like, don't, I deserve no Nostradamus award because my predictions about the <laughs> pandemic were terrible. And so that it got postponed yeah. to February of 2021, mm-hmm. uh, thinking, wow, that's so, so Surely far it'll in the be, future, yeah. all will be well by Surely then. Surely we'll be safe then. And mm-hmm. then, and then postponed again. And a very, very important part, I will say, of the postponement is that because this piece was written in collaboration with um, people whose lives are impacted by cancer, particularly cancer survivors. We wanted to be sure that whatever the circumstances were in the performance, that it, it would be it would be safer for immunocompromised people. It was really important. So we could have forwarded ahead last year um, just to get the project done. And believe me, we're just dying to get this thing to, to make it happen. But we really wanted to have a performance situation where people who um, had uh, uh, were immunocompromised due to chemotherapy or <clears throat> or other cancer-related things uh, would hopefully be able to come to the performance. So we've got our fingers crossed for this February. I mean, things are moving forward. We've got our you know production meetings coming up. And so... I hope so. I'm with you. I feel like we've waited so long that this is going to be such, again, an overwhelming experience on so many levels. I hope so. When we think about everything of where this started, the conversations you and I had as this process unfolded Mm -hmm. as you were writing it. You would talk about various places you were. And yes, I think the last music 101 that we had, you even (laughs) mentioned, you know, that you were writing parts. I kind of remember that. Yes. And then it was like, boom, it was over, you know, by April, we couldn't, we could not meet. Right. And, and, you know, this is again, our first time since April of 2020. Well, and a really important part of the opera plot point is that Human touch is so important. This came up in many of my conversations with cancer survivors and those who had cared for them that the touch of another human being is just an incredibly important part of healing. So that's in the opera. I mean, there's there's a, there's a, a moment, you know, the uh, central moment, literally the the dead center of the opera, where an embrace between two humans is the moment where the healing begins, and. Over the course of a pandemic where touching and embracing, especially someone who's not sort of in your immediate household, is just like impossible uh, and uh, is really – it was just one of those things where I'm like, if we get to the end of this and we get to see this, (laughs) then I think we all will understand, myself included, uh, how true this is. Um, that that we are made for other human beings and we we need them and so anyway yeah well and you have a clarinet concerto there's that too yeah that, yeah that's coming up that's the, super the, that's, cool it is cool it's out of town Philadelphia yes, yeah Philadelphia yes. Orchestra is going to be premiering it it is next week um, I will be you know it, assuming all goes well I will be in Philadelphia Pennsylvania hearing the Philadelphia Orchestra premiere my clarinet concerto which was my that was my quarantine piece I'll talk about that at a future music 101 yeah, that well. was that's what that's what kept me going you know it wasn't it wasn't editing the parts of Carquinos that kept me going let me tell you that 
Um, it was the it was the the you know the the writing of the clarinet concerto. Really yes, it I'm, I'm going to work very, on a commission that'll it, help. Exa- yeah. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, I'm going to think forward. And yeah. if the papers had not been signed by the time that the pandemic broke out, it wouldn't have been. I mean, it's would it wouldn't like, have the had- number one thing to be put on hold is any future planning. So I felt very very blessed to have that opportunity looming. So again, this is going to be something that you'll enjoy on multiple levels, other than just hearing your piece. Performed Correct. by the Philadelphia Orchestra. Correct. That's yes. pretty cool. No, yes, there and and the, and local everyone here. Uh, a future season, potentially mm-hmm. next season, but the Quad City Symphony is a co-commissioner of this work, so there will be a performance in the Quad City of the Clarinet Concerto. Yay! With the same soloist, Yay. Ricardo Morales, who's the principal <laughs> clarinet of the Philadelphia Orchestra. For a long time, I first heard him when he was principal clarinet of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. Um, but he's a really gifted musician, a really generous and funny guy, and and he he'll be here, um, hopefully in a future season. Great um, at voicing. He's he is. Voice, he, yeah. he he can voice. <laughs> he can voice. Oh yes. Well, actually, I texted him from the from the concert when I was listening to Garrett Olson. I'm like, have you heard voicing like this before? He's like, you know, he agreed with me. He's mm-hmm. just. He's just. So I guess looking ahead now to the symphony performance this weekend and talking about voicing, yeah. it's sort of like a zingspiel, isn't it, for, yes. for the solo instrument in a it way. It's and, true, absolutely. And that's kind of something that the, these works have in common with them. It was one of the unusual additional elements that kind of set these apart from more traditional operatic works, because we're going to be focusing primarily on Wagner and Humperdinck. Correct. Yep, yep. We're going to... So, uh, Engelbert Humperdinck is not just the guy who... I don't know what he records, Stranger in Paradise, or who's the guy... <laughs> there's a there's a pop singer, Dorsey, yes. I think was his original yes. name. But and he, he changed you know, it. His yeah. na- he changed his name. So he, what, what was his big hit? I don't even know. I mean, it, but it, some 60s, it's like lounge singer type, you know, Engelbert Humperdinck. Um, I don't know why he chose the name of of the composer, the 19th century composer, but you know, it's an, it's an unforgettable name. I'll give you that. So Engelbert Humperdinck, before it was cool, before people were stealing the name, uh, it was originally the name of a composer uh, born in 1854. He actually did live into the 20th century into 1921. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe uh, for music 101, the interesting thing about Humperdinck is though Wagner, Richard Wagner didn't really teach or have any students. Um, if he had a student, it would have been Humperdinck. I mean, Humperdinck was really his protege in a way. He worked as an assistant to Wagner. Uh, so Wagner had built for him, wouldn't this be nice, a massive theater um, in Bayreuth uh, to perform Wagner's works. And uh, boy, to have cash like that would be right, amazing. wouldn't it? Yeah, think of all a... we could do. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We, <laughs> music, we need to work music, on music, that. I exactly. <laughs> Uh, we, what we need is a Mad King Ludwig, and then we can make that happen. Um, but the but you know Humperdinck was an assistant to to Wagner, mm-hmm. um, helped helped prepare his operas for performance there at Bayreuth. And, and I think didn't even teach Wagner's son Siegfried for a while yes, too. Yes, indeed. And this was after I believe after Richard's death mm-hmm. um, that he's he he was sort of hired brought on by the family to sort of tutor. Um, Siegfried, not not the hero of uh, of, uh, <laughs> of the opera, yeah, right. exactly. of the ring, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but so 
so so Wagner, one of Wagner's immortal characters is uh, not literally immortal, but one of his most important characters is uh, Siegfried. Um, but uh, but he also named his son after his. So I have no intention of naming my children Carquinos in, in any in any way or shape or form. But but uh, anyway, uh, so yes, he was a tutor. He he sort of taught uh, Siegfried, and Siegfried Wagner went on to uh, you know write, carry on you know, the tradition. Absolutely. Yep, write his own music. Nothing yep. nothing anywhere close to to Wagner. And in fact, the, the same is true of Humperdinck. Um, so Humperdinck had a huge hit uh, in Hansel and Gretel. His his uh, opera Hansel and Gretel, which is, is is it's about exactly what you think it's about. It's a it's a dramatization of the the famous fairy tale, and um, what I think is interesting. What I, if we have time to play? I wanted to play just a little bit of Wagner, and then a little bit of Humperdinck, and then sort of talk about you know what they might have in common. And do we have time for this? Yeah, or, yeah, okay, about, yeah, a little bit, about eight just, and a half just minutes. a couple minutes. Yep. Yeah, so. Um, so we're just going to play a little bit of uh, uh, Siegfried, actually. Not, not the son, but the, the opera, the third opera in the Ring Cycle um, of Wagner's. Um, I think that's what we have. Is that right? What We're playing track one, I think. Yes, I've got track one up. Okay. Track one, that's the one. Okay. So this is the beginning of Act Three of Siegfried. So this is not Tristan. This is not Tristan because okay. I think we couldn't find the prelude. <laughs> here's, a look behind, here's a look behind the curtain. <laughs> So yeah, so Siegfried. Zieg, Zieg, this, this is, is where a, it does get tricky when we're in different studios. I yeah. know this is the 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 looks are, are look different through triple plane glass, but but yes, no, yeah. This is if this is track one, this is the beginning of Act Three of Siegfried, and it's just instrumental music. Um, this is uh, this is the the right at the end of the third of the four operas <laughs> that comprise. Um, the the ring of the Nibelung. So um, we're just going to listen to a little bit and we'll make some observations about Wagner's music and then we'll play a little bit of Humperdinck and talk about how they're similar and how they're also different. So if I can describe the scene that's happening here, this music is so amazing. But what's happening in the opera is, um, so Brunhilde, you might, if you, if anyone went to Die Valkyra, the act one of Die Valkyra that we heard at the Quad City Symphony, um, that was the beginning of the story of Brunhilde, um, though Brunhilde didn't appear in that act. But she is the, she's the daughter of Wotan, and she has been put into a ring of fire. She's been, like, she's been put to sleep and protected with this fire because whoever wakes her up 
gets to marry her, and so she wanted a hero. So dad's like, cool, I'll just put a big fire up, okay? So Siegfried, the hero, has just gotten through this fire, and and she's waking up. or, or uh, I don't know if she's waking up, but he's seeing her for the first time. So um, really incredible music and something that Humperdinck would have conducted himself, would have prepared the orchestra, okay? Um, but I want to play just a little bit of the beginning of Humperdinck's uh, Prelude to Hansel and Gretel, because you'll hear some similarities. The chords are very similar. Some of the motion is similar, but you can see how the Wagner... Well, let's just play it, and then we'll talk about the differences. So this is the beginning of the Prelude to Hansel and Gretel, uh, not by Wagner, but by Wagner Light, otherwise known as Engelbert Humperdinck. So we could we could go on if you want to hear more. Uh, also beautiful, right? You can hear more at the Quad City Symphony concert. And I'm getting a little teary in here because oh, I know, we right? well we we had the children's prayer, which this is a version of sung at our wedding. So you know it's taken me back. Um, anyway, uh, th- that aside, it it's also lovely music. Clearly, his concept of the orchestra is very similar to Wagner's. But if you if you know, and again, you could pick any two examples. But actually, the Siegfried examples are really good compare and contrast because Wagner had this sort of mythic gravity to his music that really would not have been very conducive to a fairy tale. Almost all of mm-hmm. Wagner's mm-hmm. operas are in a fantasy world. Um, uh, you know, certainly The Ring of the Nibelung is. Um, and and even when it's not necessarily in a fantasy world, it's this world that has is sort of like full of, of uh, symbolism and gravity and and uh, it's very it's very it's heavy. epic it's yeah. epic it's, it's absolutely epic, epic in every way yeah. and fairy tales are amazing but they're not really epic in that regard they have there it's just much more whimsical and as you hear the the prelude continue there's lots of great chromatic scales and all mm-hmm. kinds of things but i i just think it's really interesting that you know humperdinck saw success with in one opera and in some ways, it was because he was able to take from his teacher what resonated with him, but was also able to make it sort of popular in a way that uh, Wagner's operas just don't reach that same kind of popularity. So, you know, it's yeah, one no of those... one's performing the Wagner operas, you know, at Christmas time like Correct. they do with Hansel and Gretel because right. it premiered on December 23rd. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. He wants Parsifal to be performed at Easter, but that doesn't happen either. But it either. doesn't happen. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Maybe it does it in some places, yes. But, but you know, the idea is that, you know, when, when someone learns from a teacher, and again, he wasn't his formal teacher, but a disciple nonetheless, you know, there's, there's, there are, you, you have to make it your own personality. But the, the great difference is that, you know, Humperdinck did write many operas and uh, was never able to sort of replicate the success that he had with Hansel and Gretel. Uh, Wagner had a much more even output, certainly, over the course of his career. He had, he had many great hits. Um, but again, he had this kind of 
a sort of seriousness that I just can't imagine Wagner uh, writing an opera like Hansel and Gretel sort of in the same whimsical manner. We, he didn't mm-hmm. do whimsical. He didn't do whimsy. Yeah, right. that's right. right. That's right. And obviously he was always trying to sell his big ideas. Correct. And, you know, thought this opera is going to be the big one and right. then it wouldn't happen. And no, oh, it's going to be with Rienzi in Paris. And <laughs> no, that didn't happen. And, you know, really it, once he found the patronage of Ludwig, that right. that's when things got a little more stable uh, financially for him too, so that he could bring to the stage these epic Correct. stories and ideas. And but music. I mean, it might tell you too about how to gain patronage and also how the changing nature of patronage from Wagner's lifetime to Humperdinck's because Humperdinck probably didn't have uh, you know, luxurious spending in the same way that that uh, in oftentimes deficit spending in the same way Wagner did. So, yeah. We'll write whimsy We're then. We're back at yeah. this, huh? <laughs> I know. This has been super fun, Jacob. And I love how you were able to really point out, I think one thing that just stuck out for me in those two examples, too, is it, clearly how much how similar they were in their f- motion, yes. the, the feeling of orchestral motion. Yes. And I'm sorry that we're already uh, at 20 seconds to go uh, to Marketplace. But let's go to the concert. Next month. We'll yeah, go to the concert for so sure. It's great. And hear this. And that lots of other great music, too. It's going to be a great one. Thanks, Jacob. We'll see you next month. Thank you, Mindy. <laughs>